There's more paper than we care to admit in that schoolroom there. Anyway, a lot of it you dear members will be reading over the next few days or so. Anyway, I think we're where we need to be now. The title this morning is this, Has This Man Been With Jesus? As we draw from Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, the realisation that the high priest and his family uh, had come to when they perceived the boldness of Peter and John and saw that they were uneducated and untrained men. Well, this morning, as near as we can ascertain it, is actually my 20th anniversary as the pastor of Christ Baptist Church, that uh, those 20 years have passed extraordinarily quickly. I remember my induction there on the first uh, or second, I think it was, of December. And so here we are, 20 years on, standing in this pulpit, regularly preaching the word of God, at least when I have the right sermon to hand to preach to you. There we are. It took me 20 years to manage to achieve that one first for me there this morning. Don't know whether that counts now as a long pastorate. Well, I don't think it does. Maybe we've been pastors 40 years, 50 years in the same church. So I hasten to say, don't send flowers, or don't send condolences, or perhaps I ought to send condolences to you, but uh, whichever way around that uh, you want to think of it. But that's been a, a few years. And a family grown up here in Kreitsch. Do you remember the family? Wasn't born when we first moved here those uh, 20 years ago. And uh, our various functions and roles have changed. As Caroline, my wife, is doing now, different to those that she was doing 20 years ago. And obviously our children similarly. And uh, we've seen over those 20 years, haven't we? Well, we've seen a lot. That we have. Are we a larger congregation? Uh, no, certainly not this morning, are we, with uh, COVID-19 and everything else that goes with that. Our average age, I suspect, is slightly higher than it was when uh, first I stood in this pulpit and was preaching. Over that time, we have seen, haven't we, those of us who've traveled that journey, all of it, with me, well, we've seen friends that have gone to glory. We've had other friends who were part of the church here, leaving us for, for good reasons, family, whatever it is. And we've seen other people who have well, they've just left us. In that time, we've built friendships and working together. Well, that's the wonder, isn't it, of gospel work. We're fellow laborers. We're fellow soldiers. And precious, precious are the bonds of friendship that are forged in that work. Alan, there, years that. Uh, so many things, a flurry of emails over these last months there that we've had to, to do with the building work and everything else there. Well, we could fill volumes with that, but they're working on the case together with other church officers too and other church members, different things that we work together with and on. And there have been some standout moments. I'm being a bit self-indulgent this morning, but allow me that. Uh, there have been some wonderful highlight moments and those of you who were here, it wasn't all of you, but when we used to have the Bible exhibition, come up and uh, stage it here, local schools would come. And then one year we had a, a kind of more mobile Bible exhibition, which you could take a bit of it and take it to schools. And uh, that really 
really was a wonderful, wonderful moments. And some of the schools that we went to and the things that we were able to say to them there were very, very special things. Had other events, haven't we? And other ministries that have come here. And when Nick Needham to do church history days with us, our seekers events, those end of term events when the place will be, on some occasions, absolutely heaving with children and their parents. And it's been great to be able to minister to them. And opportunities in the local schools, Easter activity days that Caroline and I have been able to do. Again, stand out. The Bible clubs, we've all uh, been able to work together on those and see, uh, I don't think we'll forget the first day of this, this year's one when the families and children were queuing up on the path outside to come in. It was like the January sales and open air work and our coffees on the lawn and a host of things where we very much been working together and, uh, and serving the Lord and uh, many memories in, in that particular way. But though that said, uh, one has to say indeed not enough perhaps happy memories that we haven't seen many conversions over those years. The baptistry here will be vacuuming out before we have another baptism because it's been a fair few years since the last baptism and it was a fair few years before the previous baptism had happened. We haven't seen much in that regard. And well, I have to say it. I've conducted far more funerals than I've conducted weddings here in this church or baptisms indeed. We then had, haven't we, as a fellowship, bringing us very much up to date the last couple of years with the challenge that the building work presented to us still does. Plenty going on. It's moving forward. There's progress to report, but uh, it takes a bit of effort and time and energy to, to get it there and to keep moving it on. Up for another day, but we've had that. Oh, and then we had a pandemic, didn't we? And uh, adapting to that, still adapting to it, every new, new normal that we have to uh, adjust to, and uh, the difficulties, and we're going to feel it, aren't we, through the winter in that way? Maybe quite a few of you are feeling quite tired and quite weary. But here we are, and if I can say 20 years, here I am. And still, still here, still in the pulpit, still preaching. And that's in itself. Those of you who've traveled the journey with, with me and my health over these years. Well, that's been a journey too. 12 years on and off with the worst pain note in the medical profession. Vertigo to add to the, uh, the whole mix. And that was quite a challenge to me personally and quite a trial to us all at times. And uh, those various preachers who had to come in at the last minute because suddenly I'd gone down with one thing or the other. And that's not to mention what was going on in the world, large, long after I moved here. We draw quite a conclusion. It was because I moved up here, or my family did, but 9-11. And then the Iraq war followed from that, financial crash of 2008, the aftermath of that, Brexit, and the ongoing story of that. And a bigger story behind all of this, which, at least in the West and in our own nation, has been largely a story of moral and spiritual decline. Moral and spiritual decline. Refer upwards to what was mentioned a moment back about fewer conversions and such things. And we look on. We know there are bright exceptions to that trend. But ours, unfortunately, is a story shared in many, many places. City places, towns, villages. And we're longing to see more than that. Yet dying we live on. 
And there are still opportunities, still opportunities. We're out in Belper yesterday there, and uh, Bob and I doing some preaching, and friends there, kind enough to stand in the cold and uh, lend a bit of moral support and prayer as we were doing that. There are still opportunities. The schools still stay open to me being able to visit when such times become possible, and uh, another opportunities that we have still have liberty to preach the word of God, liberty to preach in the open air, liberty to do these things that are precious, precious things. But what for me, looking back over 20 years, well, it is, isn't it? Uh, something that's very much lived with me through the, through the pandemic about being with Jesus, that they perceived and realized that they had been with Jesus, Peter and John, and if you look that what had preceded that conclusion was their boldness. There in verse 12 to finish that very direct, very clear presentation that uh, Peter had, had made there of what had happened, what the Lord Jesus Christ had done, what they'd done to him and who he actually was. This is the chief cornerstone. And he rounds it off by saying now, nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's as clear as it gets. And that's the kind of text that you see at railway stations and on church notice boards. That says it. That's one for the open air. That's one for an evangelistic sermon anytime, anywhere. Peter's clear description that there is, there is no salvation anywhere else. No other name. No other person that you can look to. And they heard that. They didn't want to hear it, but they heard that. And remarkable, though, their consciences must have been just ringing fire alarms everywhere. What they were doing in trying to suppress that name, warning them, threatening them, no longer to speak in that name. The name they'd just been told was the only name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And now they are threatening these men from saying that name again, from declaring the Lordship of Christ and his His place in God's affections and the place of the cross. That from him has proceeded the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is now very much the, the living experience of Peter and John. And they try to have that name stopped. But they realize this much, and they were right, and what a company they are. And uh, Luke has all the names there, doesn't he? Annas the high priest and Caiaphas, John, Alexander. And as many as were of the family of the high priest. There are the names. These are the men. But they at least got this bit right. That what was happening with Peter and John, the fact that these ordinary men, to their minds, uneducated, untrained men, that they were giving such a clear, bold, authoritative, and emphatic message. Well, they thought, how did that happen? How did that happen? This doesn't happen. Galilean fishermen. Don't stand in front of we, a company of great thinkers and religious leaders, and, and speeches like this. The speeches so boldly and so firmly that this Jesus, now they are going to do their level best to stop that name spreading further or to have the guilt of having him put to death devolve upon them. And he's realized that this man had some effect on these two men, Peter and John, that this Jesus had had a big impact 
when he was there on earth and three years, or since he had gone to glory, they wouldn't want to concede he was raised from the dead. But somewhere there, the worry was niggling away. The Pentecost was something that required a bit of explaining. The sound of that mighty rushing wind and the tongues of fire upon the heads of them and the speaking in those languages which they were able to speak in with such ease and facility. Well, this Jesus, there was something there. They couldn't deny that. They couldn't deny the miracle, but they couldn't deny the fact that if these men had spent time with Jesus, that had made a difference. Well, that makes all the difference, perhaps. It made all the difference, perhaps, to my 20 years. Look back, has this man, I ask it myself, has this man been with Jesus? Is it evident? Does it show? I ask it of myself, I'm not sure it does. And we must ask it all of, all of us, mustn't we? Who have we been? Who have we been with, putting it like that? Who have we been spending time with? I've got some of the wrong company I'm going to come to in a minute to just bring to our attention. But that boldness and that clarity, that willingness and that fearlessness, well, that's something, isn't it, for all of us, preachers, but all of us to have. And the key to it does seem to be so simple, doesn't it? Being with Jesus. First heading. The Jesus to be with. The Jesus to be with. Well, there are many false ones, many fake ones, many that are superficial, which owe nothing to the Bible. The biblical Jesus, the true, the real, the authentic, any number of pulpits and over Christmas, they do, well, they're level worse, you might say, to try to obscure the real Jesus, obscure why he came into the world and invent a whole fiction around him. Well, that's not the Jesus you want to be with. You want to be the one that we read of in the gospel accounts, the one that the epistles reflect upon, the one that the Old Testament prepares us for at every turn. That one, the one who spoke to you, spoke to me. He said, come unto me. All you weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That one. The one who declared that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except by me. That one. The one who died upon a cross and would have us look there. And in the words of John the Baptist, behold, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. That one. You want to be with him. The one that promised to his people, to those who've come to him, that he'd never leave them nor forsake them, and that he'd be with them always, even to the end of the age. That one, the Bible's Jesus, the true one, the one that did come into the world and was born of a virgin in Bethlehem, was laid in a manger, and all of the things that follow from that, the most glorious person there has ever been. That's who we are invited to spend time with. That's the one that if we spend time with him, it will show. It will show in who we are. It will show in how we speak. It will show in everything. And there he is portrayed for us in scripture. It must be wonderful to spend time with the queen. Somebody with great years, great experience, met so, so many people, must have come. Not at liberty to express them too publicly, but come to all manner of conclusions. She's going to be, we understand, there, locked away in Windsor Castle over Christmas and not having the usual family gathering. But fascinating must be to spend time with her or indeed anybody else who's lived an interesting life. But we have 
the opportunity to spend time with the most interesting, the most wonderful, the most influential person that there is, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's the invitation that we have. What kind of a person is it that he's with? Well, who you spend time with, it sort of rubs off on you, doesn't it, in that way? You can tell if you've spent time with somebody. Sometimes tell, can't even preachers who, who's been an influential preacher in their life. They sound a bit like him, you know, they sound a bit like him in that way. Well, how about the, the Jesus of scripture? He's living, living. We are changing people if we've been with him. He's, he's involved. He's involved in our lives. He'll involve himself in our life, whether we like it or not. He'll humble us. He'll rebuke us. He'll bring us to repentance as Christians. One who's very understanding. One who's very sympathetic. Extraordinarily sympathetic. Extraordinarily patient and caring. What a person that he is. And it'll show. So supportive. So confrontational. Doesn't give us rest. Doesn't let us settle. Doesn't let us remain the same. He's always confronting us. There is the example of his life. Is that us? There is holiness in action. Is that us? And we're always being called to something higher, aren't we? We have interaction with him. We encounter him in scripture. We're always called to something higher. That's the, the Jesus there maturing one. Matures us. Grow, grow up. Grow beyond certain things. We grow into the habits of a settled, mature Christian life. The Jesus of Scripture and his life, as we find it there, isn't it? Is this that life of sincere obedience? So the gospel accounts are showing a sincere obedience. Obedience rendered to God from the heart. Obedience rendered unto fellow neighbor on our behalf in that way, living so fruitfully, so fully for the glory of God. Every turn, every respect. And we're meant to read that. That's the Jesus that we're meant to be with. That's what people should realize. You have been that Jesus of scripture. His life is one of such sincere obedience, totally and utterly given to loving God, loving neighbor. We read, didn't we, in Psalm 45, Let's read a couple of verses again. Some very much looking on to the character, ministry, the kingdom and kingship, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Psalm 45 verses 6 and 7. The throne of God is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness, hate wickedness. For God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Loving Righteousness, hating, wickedness. That's what he's about. That's what it is. Hates, well, he hates our hypocrisy, hates man-made religion, hates anything in us that is not true in that way, that is not built upon him and has him at its center. Well, that's religion. It has anything else but him at its center. And all that follows from it, greed, lying, violence, status-seeking, all of that the soul hates. And we are to hate it too in ourselves. We're to repent of it. We're to love all that he loves, the worthy, good things, faithfulness, gentleness, and the fruit of the Spirit, and that loyalty to him, that love that should 
flow from us and should be us bound to him, bound to our fellow man in love. But it was, wasn't it? The evidence of those things within us that brought us to conversion. We realized what shocking, shocking creatures that we were. What a heart of depravity. What an evil mindedness. What lack there was within. And that comparison with what heaven requires, what God requires, what the Lord Jesus Christ models was perhaps there for you, for me, certainly. Uh, that irritant, that, that unhappy experience within my own conclusions as to who I was that led to conversion, led to repentance unto life made me, made you long for a savior and showed you there is no other name under heaven how you came to him and how you loved him, what he had done on your behalf and for all of his people. But there it is, if there is a life of sincere obedience, then it is the glory of that life, the merits of that life, all were brought into his death, carried all of that perfection, brought it into his death, that his death should be a, a full satisfaction for our sin that it might be the purest of pure offerings and from it be able to then enlarge our prospects by a gift of righteousness that is conferred upon us, that all the glory of his life becomes now regarded as our life, our life before God, acceptable and righteous in his sight. If we just read a fraction there, that great uh, book of prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Well, that's a Jesus to be with, isn't it? That one, the one who died upon the cross for his people, the one whose body shed blood we really reflect upon when we come to communion. Not an abstract death, not some death left hanging in the air just as at Christmas so often in the lips of preachers. His birth is left hanging in the air. We're not quite sure what that achieved. What did it accomplish? Why did he have to do that? Why did he have to come? Though it's a death of very particular focus, bringing benefits which are solid, intended for his people, that it obtained for them full salvation, and brought them into the experience of repentance and faith, brought to them pardon, forgiveness from heaven, and the gift of righteousness in all its entirety always was intended to do that. And our response, well, what it should be, if we have been with that Jesus in his life, in his death, and of course then in his glorious resurrection, we'll be with Paul in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, following. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, Christ died in vain. And he didn't die in vain. 
Paul just offers that thought there to warn the people, don't make the law your hope. Otherwise, you've just voided that wonderful salvation Christ obtained on the cross of all, all of its need, all of its power, all of its vital truth. Or in Philippians chapter 3, and just reading from verse 8 and onwards from there, yet indeed, Paul writes, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Been with Jesus. This man, this woman, you have I spent time enough with that Jesus and come away with that reaction as the Apostle Paul did there. My second heading, I said that we had to look at some of the wrong company to keep. Well, this is it. We keep the wrong company too often. It's the wrong company that if whoever, John, Alexander, Caiaphas, Annas, the high priest, whoever might look at us, would they realize we've been with Jesus, with the one we just described? Would they say, wait a minute, I think you've been with something else. You've been some somewhere else, someplace else with someone else. Here are a few thoughts. We're happy thoughts, but here are a few thoughts. Unbelief. Unbelief. We realize that these people have been with unbelief. Belief. They've had unbelieving thoughts, unbelieving company, and it's shown. They're saying, can God really do this? Can God really say? Is God really able to do this? Was Jesus Christ really this person? Well, unbelief. What an unhappy history that that has. Psalm 78, verses 17 to 20. It's an interest uh, here. It shows what, uh, what unbelief is about. But they sinned, the people in the wilderness, even more against him by rebelling against the Most High in the wilderness. And they tested God in their heart by asking for the food of their fancy. Yes, they spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rocks so that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide meat for his people? There was that that evil heart of unbelief. It's not believing God could do anything, not believing that he had the power, not believing he was there, not believing that he could intervene and provide for them, even though they'd seen him already provide. But, well, can he give us bread? Well, can he give us meat? And so it had gone. That is not good company to keep, unbelief. Neither come to that is fear. Fear. Is that the company we keep? Fear and all that that does. It's actually a close relative of unbelief. Fear is often what lies behind unbelief. And unbelief actually helps to generate fear. They don't work comfortably together, these two. They work a little bit too comfortably together. And they are bad company to keep. Where we, we ask, will it work? Does God's word, will it work? Will it actually work for me? If I trust him, if I put my faith in him in this way, if I believe that if I obey in these particulars, then he'll be with me. There's often fear be able to make a contribution. It's not got a purpose for me. Has he got a plan for me? And fear can often come back and say, no, I don't think he has. And we're stalled and we're stuck. And we're in, around in circles and we never get beyond that sometimes. 
or disappointments. We can live in their companionship too much. That these men, these women spent their time with disappointment, living with their disappointments, never been able to quite get beyond it, never progressed out of it, never got some freedom to put those things behind and press on to the things that are ahead. Well, ministers, preachers spend too much time with these things, we all do. And we have to say, that's, that's not who we want to spend time with. It really isn't. We want to spend time with the Lord Jesus. And we want people to think they spent time with him. Finally, and very briefly, let's all resolve to spend more time with Jesus. Simple as that. Let's all resolve that it's going to be his companionship that we want. That's that's where the changes happen. That's where the boldness and speaking and the conviction deepens and that we say we're trusting no one else. There's no other name. We believe that name saves. No other name saves. And we're absolutely rock solid on that. That's where this all comes from. And so it's a resolve that we need to make. And that resolve has repentance written big within it. We repent that we've had companionship with other Jesuses, not the ones of Scripture, or that we've spent so much time nursing unbelief and cherishing that. And it's time that it went. And we want to use the time to its best effect. Well, it's been time, hasn't it? We've thought a lot about time during the pandemic. I certainly have. Perhaps you have too. And how we're spending that time. We've had lockdowns, two of the things now, and time that we've spent differently. We've been here for a start, haven't we? I hope you've been using your Sundays, your Lord's Days when in lockdown, productively. That's sometimes it's been good. We've been unhurried. We've been unrushed. And things can happen then that we think more deeply. And when we think more deeply, we repent more deeply. And maybe then we trust more deeply. And when we do that, surrounded, as it were, enveloped by the knowledge that we're in Christ Jesus, we're beloved of him, then this is productive time. This is good use of time. Sometimes we've been too busy to actually grow, too busy, and too busy doing things. They often have been very good things, yet somehow we lost that time to be with the Lord Jesus, and it just didn't happen. And unfortunately, what then happens is you're bringing into your, your activities, whatever you're doing, a bit of a deficit, a bit of a spiritual deficit. And it's, it doesn't happen quite so well, and it doesn't happen quite so Put it this way, sweetly, as it should. We need to be with him. So quite simple thoughts. Open that Bible. Oh, please open that Bible. And and immerse yourself in, in him, in there, in the book, in his book. Find more of him there. Drink in the story. Uh, Christmas, yes, we have that. Sure, great moment to take in the aspects of the nativity. But you'll want to go further and beyond and to take it all in. And pray, you pray. No Christian prays sufficiently, none. Pastors, preachers who have been in pulpits for 20 years can't look back and say, well, I think I prayed enough, actually. No, they can't. None of us can. And we need to pray. All the more, adoration and with faith. Not as a sort of duty, not as a sort of thing hanging over us, but because we are spending time with the best person that we can ever spend time with with pray. Pray with faith. Pray with adoration. Praise. Praise with joy. These are big things, aren't they? We know that that man who was healed, who had been 40 years, remarkable miracle, 
that, that he was leaping and praising God when he was raised from his affliction. And our affliction, sin, released from sin, is no, no different. In fact, it's more than that. And we should be a praising people. There should be joy, gratitude. Is that? Have faith. Have faith in everything that he's said. Have faith in all that he's declared about himself. Have faith in it. Go out on it. Rely upon it. Believe that if you do what it says, God will be with you. He'll be with me. Have faith. Difficult things he might ask us to do. Well, have faith. You're out of your comfort zone. Well, that's not only just life in general. You're always going to be taking you out of your comfort zone. But the Christian life most certainly will. Don't prejudge what God may do. He may take you in a totally different direction. Most unexpected. Twists and turns. Marvelous they'll be. Have faith. I lecture to myself. Preach Christ. Preach him. But I'd say to all of you, some of you do some preaching there, can preach Christ. But even if you're not called to be a preacher, have at the heart of your soul that you're ready to speak of him. That actually, that's the, the best thought, the quickest thought, the, the thought that most readily occurs to you. What should we talk about? Let's talk about him. What he means, what he's done, what he's doing in my soul. What I know he's going to do one day when he takes me to glory. When you're speaking to a person, you think now, how can I bring Christ into what I'm about here? How can I address this person who's come, I don't know, do something in this building, a whole Derbyshire's tradesmen coming into this building, I think, these days? What can we say to them? What can we give to them? And for you, having people come to your house to do things, if you're allowed that, I don't know. But whoever you meet, how can you speak to them and tell them a little bit more about this person? The more we spend time with him and ourselves, the more he's doing something in us and we're just so gripped by him, then the more we're gripped by him, the more we're ready, the more naturally, the more obvious it is to talk to other people, just as Peter and John did here, because they're filled with the Spirit. That's not just some sort of happen out here, experience something a bit odd and a bit weird and a bit different. But this is just a follow-through from who the Lord Jesus Christ is in the soul what has been revealed to them there. The more that we have of Christ, I tell you, dear friends, the more filled with the Spirit we will be ready on the front foot to be able to speak to any about it and to speak to them. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful? The same urgency, eagerness, directness and boldness as Peter and John did here. Now, has this man been with Jesus? Good question. 20 years on, good question. Good question. A question perhaps we might ask, all of ourselves, as we have this particular anniversary, this particular Sunday. May God bless us and keep us.